Chapter Fifteen of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Tobias. Varney the Vampire, Volume One, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter Fifteen. THE OLD ADMIRAL AND HIS SERVANT THE COMMUNICATION FROM THE LANDLORD OF THE NELSON'S ARMS While those matters of most grave and serious import were going on at the hall, while each day, and almost each hour in each day, was producing more and more conclusive evidence upon a matter which at first had seemed too monstrous to be at all credited, it may well be supposed what a wonderful sensation was produced among the gossip-mongers of the neighbourhood by the exaggerated reports that had reached them. The servants, who had left the hall on no other account, as they declare, but sheer fright at the awful visits of the vampire, spread the news far and wide, so that in the adjoining villages and market-towns the vampire of Bannerworth Hall became quite a staple article of conversation. Such a positive godsend for the lovers of the marvellous had not appeared in the countryside within the memory of that sapient individual, the oldest inhabitant. And, moreover, there was one thing which staggered some people of better education and maturer judgments, and that was that the more they took pains to inquire into the matter, in order, if possible, to put an end to what they considered a gross lie from the commencement, the more evidence they found to stagger their own senses upon the subject. Everywhere, then, in every house, public as well as private, something was being continually said of the vampire. Nursery-maids began to think a vampire vastly superior to old scratch and old bogey as a means of terrifying their infant charges into quietness, if not to sleep until they themselves became too much afraid upon the subject to mention it. But nowhere was gossiping carried on upon the subject with more systematic fervor than at an inn called the Nelson's Arms, which was in the high street of the nearest market-town to the hall. There it seemed as if the lovers of the horrible made a point of holding their headquarters, and so thirsty did the numerous discussions make the guests that the landlord was heard to declare that he, from his heart, really considered a vampire as very nearly equal to a contested election. It was towards evening on the same day that Marchdale and Henry made their visit to Sir Francis Varney that a post-chaise drew up to the inn we have mentioned. In the vehicle were two persons of exceedingly dissimilar appearance and general aspect. One of these people was a man who seemed fast verging upon seventy years of age, although from his still ruddy and embrowned complexion and stentorian voice it was quite evident he intended yet to keep time at arm's length for many years to come. He was attired in ample and expensive clothing, but every article had a naval animus about it, if we may be allowed such an expression with regard to clothing. On his buttons was an anchor and the general assortment and color of the clothing as nearly assimilated as possible to the undressed naval uniform of an office of high rank some fifty or sixty years ago. 
His companion was a younger man, and about his appearance there was no secret at all. He was a genuine sailor, and he wore the sure costume of one. He was hearty-looking and well-dressed, and evidently well-fed. As the chase drove up to the door of the inn, this man made an observation to the other to the following effect. Ahoy! Well, you lubber, what now? cried the other. They call this the Nelson's Arms, and you know, shiver me, that for the best half of his life he had but one. Damn you! was the only rejoinder he got for his observation. But, with that, he seemed very well satisfied. Heave to! he then shouted to the postillion, who was about to drive the chase into the yard. Heave to, you lubberly son of a gun! We don't want to go into the dock. Ah, said the old man, let's get out, Jack. This is the port, and, do you hear? And be cursed to you. Let's have no swearing, damn you, nor bad language, you lazy swab. Aye, aye, cried Jack. I've not been ashore now a matter of ten years, and not learnt a little shore-going politeness, Admiral. I ain't been your wally de sham without learning a thing about land reckonings. Nobody would take me for a sailor now, I'm thinking, Admiral. Hold your noise. Aye, aye, sir. Jack, as he was called, bundled out of the chase when the door was opened, with a movement so closely resembling what would have ensued had he been dragged out by the collar, that one was tempted almost to believe that such a feat must have been accomplished by some invisible agency. He then assisted the old gentleman to alight, and the landlord of the inn commenced the usual profusion of bows with which a passenger by a post-chase is usually welcomed in preference to one by a stage-coach. "'Be quiet, will you?' shouted the admiral, for such indeed he was. "'Be quiet!' "'Best accommodation, sir. Good wine, well-aired beds, good attendance, fine air.' "'Belay there,' said Jack, and he gave the landlord what he considered a gentle admonition, but which consisted of such a dig in the ribs that he made as many evolutions as the clown in a pantomime when he vociferated hot codlings. "'Now, Jack, where's the sailing instructions?' said his master. "'Here, sir, in the locker,' said Jack, as he took from his pocket a letter which he handed to the admiral. "'Won't you step in, sir?' said the landlord, who had begun now to recover a little from the dig in the ribs. "'What's the use of coming into port and paying harbor dues and all that sort of thing, till we know if it's the right, you lubber, eh?' "'No, oh, dear me, sir, of course. God bless me. What can the old gentleman mean?' The admiral opened the letter and read, "'If you stop at the Nelson's Arms at Uxodder, you will hear of me, and I can be sent for, and I will tell you more.' Yours very obediently and humbly, Josiah Crinkles. Who the deuce is he? This is Uxodder, sir, said the landlord, and here you are, sir, at the Nelson's Arms. Good beds, good wine, good silence. Yes, sir, oh, of course. Who the devil is Josiah Crinkles? Ha, 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 makes me laugh, sir. Who the devil, indeed? They do say the devil and lawyers, sir, know something of each other. Makes me smile. I'll make you smile out the other side of that damned great hatchway of a mouth of yours in a minute. Who is Crinkles? 
"'Oh, Mr. Crinkle, sir, everybody knows. A most respectable attorney, sir, indeed, a highly respectable man, sir. A lawyer?' "'Yes, sir, a lawyer.' "'Well, I'm damned.' Jack gave a long whistle, and both master and man looked at each other, aghast. "'Now hang me!' cried the Admiral. "'If ever I was so taken in all my life!' "'Aye, aye, sir,' said Jack. "'To come a hundred and seventy miles to see a damned swab of a rascally lawyer! "'Aye, aye, sir. I'll smash him! "'Jack!' "'Your Honor?' "'Get into the chase again!' "'Well, but where's Master Charles? Lawyers, in course, sir, is all blessed rogues, but howsomedever, he may have, for once in his life, this here one of em have told us of the right channel, and if so be as he has, don't be the Yankee to leave him among the pirates. I'm ashamed of you. You infernal scoundrel! How dare you preach to me in such a way, you lubberly rascal! Cause you deserves it. Mutiny! "'Mutiny, by Jove! Jack, I'll have you put in irons. You're a scoundrel and no seaman!' "'No seaman! No seaman! Not a bit of one!' "'Very good. It's time, then, as I was off the purser's books. Good-bye to you. I only hopes as you may get a better seaman to stick to you and be your Wally de Sham, nor Jack Pringle. That's all the harm I wish you.' You didn't call me no seaman in the Bay of Corfu when the bullets were scuttling our knobs. Jack, you rascal! Give us your fin! Come here, you damned villain! You'll leave me, will you? Not if I know it. Come in, then. Don't tell me I'm no seaman. Call me a wagabone if you like, but don't hurt my feelings. There I'm as tender as a baby I am. Don't do it. Confound you! Who is doing it? The devil. Who is? Don't, then. Thus wrangling, they entered the inn, to the great amusement of several bystanders, who had collected to hear the altercation between them. Would you like a private room, sir? said the landlord. What's that to you? said Jack. Hold your noise, will you? cried his master. Yes, I should like a private room and some grog. "'Strong as the devil,' put in Jack. "'Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good wines, good beds, good—' "'You said all that before, you know,' remarked Jack, as he bestowed upon the landlord another terrific dig in the ribs. Hilloa! cried the Admiral. "'You can send for that infernal lawyer, Mr. Landlord.' "'Mr. Crinkle, sir?' "'Yes, yes.' "'Who may I have the honor to say, sir, wants to see him?' "'Admiral Bell.' "'Certainly, Admiral, certainly. You'll find him a very conversable, nice, gentlemanly little man, sir.' "'And tell him Jack Pringle is here, too,' cried the seaman. "'Oh, yes, yes, of course,' said the landlord, who was in such a state of confusion from the digs in the ribs he had received, and the noise his guests had already made in his house, that, had he been suddenly put upon his oath, he would scarcely have liked to say which was the master and which was the man.' "'The idea now, Jack,' said the Admiral, "'of coming all this way to see a lawyer.' "'Aye, aye, sir.' "'If he said he was a lawyer, we would have known what to do. "'But it's a take-in, Jack.' "'So I think. "'Howsomedever, we'll serve him out when we catch him, you know.' 
Good, so we will. And, then again, he may know something about Master Charles, sir, you know. Lord love him, don't you remember when he came aboard to see you once at Portsmouth? Ah, I do indeed. And how he said he hated the French, and quite a baby, too. What perseverance and sense! Uncle, he says to you, when I'm a big man, I'll go in a ship, and fight all the French in a heap, says he. And beat em, my boy, too, you says you, cause you thought he'd forgot that. And then he says, what's the use of saying that, stupid? Don't we always beat em? The admiral laughed and rubbed his hands as he cried aloud, I remember, Jack, I remember him. I was stupid to make such a remark. I know you was. A damned old fool, I thought you. Come, come. Hulloa there. Well, then, what do you call me no seaman for? Why, Jack, you bear malice like a marine. There you go again. Good-bye. Do you remember when we were yard-arm to yard-arm with those two Yankee frigates and took em both? You didn't call me a marine then, when the scuppers were running with blood. Was I a seaman then? You were, Jack, you were, and you saved my life. I didn't. You did. I say I didn't. It was a marlin spike. But I say you did, you rascally scoundrel. I say you did, and I won't be contradicted in my own ship. Call this your ship? No, damn it, I— Mr. Crinkles, said the landlord, flinging the door wide open, and so at once putting an end to the discussion which always apparently had a tendency to wax exceedingly warm. The shark, by God, said Jack. A little, neatly dressed man made his appearance, and advanced rather timidly into the room. Perhaps he had heard from the landlord that the parties who had sent for him were of rather a violent sort. "'So you're Crinkles, are you?' cried the Admiral. "'Sit down, though you are a lawyer.' "'Thank you, sir. I am an attorney, certainly, and my name is certainly Crinkles.' "'Look at that!' The Admiral placed the letter in the little lawyer's hands, who said, "'Am I to read it?' "'Yes, to be sure.' "'Aloud?' "'Read it to the devil, if you like.' in a pig's whisper, or a West India hurricane. Oh, very good, sir. I I am willing to be agreeable, so I'll read it aloud if it's all the same to you. He then opened the letter and read as follows. To Admiral Bell. Admiral, being from various circumstances, aware that you take a warm and a praiseworthy interest in your nephew Charles Holland, I venture to write to you concerning a matter in which your immediate and active cooperation with others may rescue him from a condition which will prove, if allowed to continue, very much to his detriment and ultimate unhappiness. You are, then, hereby informed that he, Charles Holland, has, much earlier than he ought to have done, returned to England, and that the object of his return is to contract a marriage into a family in every way objectionable, and with a girl who is highly objectionable. You, Admiral, are his nearest and almost his only relative in the world. You are the guardian of his property, and therefore it becomes a duty on your part 
to interfere to save him from the ruinous consequences of a marriage which is sure to bring ruin and distress upon himself and all who take an interest in his welfare. The family he wishes to marry into is named Bannerworth, and the young lady's name is Flora Bannerworth. When, however, I inform you that a vampire is in that family, and that if he marries into it, he marries a vampire, and will have vampires for children, I trust I have said enough to warn you upon the subject, and to induce you to lose no time in repairing to the spot. If you stop at the Nelson's Arms in Uxodder, you will hear of me. I can be sent for, when I will tell you more. Yours very obediently and humbly, Josiah Crinkles. P.S. I enclose you Dr. Johnson's definition of a vampire, which is as follows. Vampire, a German bloodsucker, by which you perceive how many vampires, from time immemorial, must have been well entertained at the expense of John Bull at the court of St. James, where nothing hardly is to be met with but German bloodsuckers. The lawyer ceased to read, and the amazed look with which he glanced at the face of Admiral Bell would, under any other circumstances, have much amused him. His mind, however, was by far too much engrossed with a consideration of the danger of Charles Holland, his nephew, to be amused at anything. So, when he found that the little lawyer said nothing, he bellowed out, "'Well, sir!' "'We—we—well,' said the attorney, "'I've sent for you, and here you are, and here I am, and here's Jack Pringle. What have you got to say?' "'Just this much,' said Mr. Crinkles, recovering himself a little. "'Just this much, sir, that I never saw that letter before in all my life.' "'You never saw it?' "'Never.' "'Didn't write it?' "'On my solemn word of honor, sir, I did not. Jack Pringle whistled, and the Admiral looked puzzled. Like the Admiral in the song, too, he grew paler. And then Mr. Crinkles added, "'Who has forged my name to a letter such as this I cannot imagine. As for writing to you, sir, I never heard of your existence, except publicly, as one of those gallant officers who have spent a long life in nobly fighting their country's battles, and who are entitled to the admiration and the applause of every Englishman. Jack and the Admiral looked at each other in amazement, and then the latter exclaimed, "'What? This from a lawyer?' "'A lawyer, sir,' said Crinkles, "'may know how to appreciate the deeds of gallant men, although he may not be able to imitate them. That letter, sir, is a forgery, and I now leave you, only much grateful at the incident which has procured me the honor of an interview with a gentleman whose name will live in the history of his country. Good day, sir. Good day. No, I'm damned if you go like that, said Jack, as he sprang to the door and put his back against it. You shall take a glass of wine with me in honor of the wooden walls of old England. Damned if you was twenty lawyers. That's right, Jack, said the Admiral. Come, Mr. Crinkles, I'll think, for your sake, there may be two decent lawyers in the world, and you one of them. We must have a bottle of the best wine the ship— 
I mean the house, can afford together. If it is your command, Admiral, I obey with pleasure, said the attorney, and although I assure you, on my honor, I did not write that letter, yet some of the matters mentioned in it are so generally notorious here that I can afford you some information concerning them. Can you? I regret to say I can, for I respect the parties. Sit down, then, sit down. Jack, run to the steward's room and get the wine. We will go into it now, starboard and larboard. Who the deuce could have written that letter? I have not the least idea, sir. Well, well, never mind. It has brought me here, that's something, so I won't grumble much at it. I didn't know my nephew was in England, and I dare say he didn't know I was, but here we both are, and I won't rest till I've seen him, and ascertained how the—what's-its-name? The vampire. Ah, the vampire. Shiver my timbers, said Jack Pringle, who now brought in some wine much against the remonstrances of the waiters of the establishment, who considered that he was treading upon their vested interests by so doing. Shiver my timbers, if I knows what a wampire is, unless he's some distant relation to Davy Jones. Hold your ignorant tongue, said the Admiral. Nobody wants you to make a remark, you great lubber. Ah, <sighs> very good, said Jack, and he sat down the wine on the table, and then retired to the other end of the room, remarking to himself that he was not called a great lubber on a certain occasion when bullets were scuttling their knobs, and they were yard-arm to yard-arm with God knows who. "'Now, Mr. Lawyer,' said Admiral Bell, who had about him a large share of the habits of a rough sailor, "'now, Mr. Lawyer, here is a glass first to our better acquaintance, for damned if I don't like you.' "'You are very good, sir.' "'Not at all.' There was a time when I'd just as soon have thought of asking a young shark to supper with me in my own cabin as a lawyer, but I began to see that there may be such a thing as a decent, good sort of fellow seen in the law, so here's good luck to you, and you shall never want a friend or a bottle while Admiral Bell has a shot in the locker. Gammon, said Jack. Damn you, what do you mean by that? roared the Admiral in a furious tone. "'I wasn't speaking to you,' shouted Jack, about two octaves higher. "'It's two boys in the street, as is pretending they're going to fight, and I know damn well they won't.' "'Hold your noise!' "'I'm going. I wasn't told to hold my noise when our knobs were being scuttled off Beirut.' "'Never mind him, Mr. Lawyer,' added the Admiral. "'He don't know what he's talking about. Never mind him. You go on and tell me all you know about the—' the the vampire ah uh, i always forget the names of strange fish i suppose after all it's something of the mermaid order that i cannot say sir but certainly the story in all its painful particulars has made a great sensation all over the country indeed yes sir you shall hear how it occurred it appears that one night Miss Flora Bannerworth, a young lady of great beauty, and respected and admired by all who knew her, was visited by a strange being who came in at the window. "'My eye!' said Jack, 
If it weren't me, I wish it had been. So petrified by fear was she, that she had only time to creep half out of the bed and to utter one cry of alarm when the strange visitor seized her in his grasp. "'Damn my pigtail!' said Jack. "'What a squall there must have been, to be sure!' "'Do you see this bottle?' roared the Admiral. "'To be sure I does. I think as it's time I seed another.' "'You scoundrel! I'll make you feel it against that damn stupid head of yours if you interrupt this gentleman again. Don't be violent.' "'Well, as I was saying,' continued the attorney, she did, by great good fortune, manage to scream, which had the effect of alarming the whole house. The door of her chamber, which was fast, was broken open. "'Yes, yes.' "'Ah!' cried Jack. "'You may imagine the horror and the consternation of those who entered the room to find her in the grasp of a fiend-like figure, whose teeth were fastened on her neck, and who was actually draining her veins of blood.' could lay hands sufficiently upon the figure to detain it, it had fled precipitately from its dreadful repast. Shots were fired after it in vain. And they let it go? They followed it, I understand, as well as they were able, and saw it scale the garden wall of the premises. There it escaped, leaving, as you may well imagine, on all their minds, a sensation of horror difficult to describe. Well, I never did hear anything the equal of that. Jack, what do you think of it? I haven't begun to think yet, said Jack. What about my nephew, Charles? added the Admiral. Of him I know nothing. Nothing? Not a word, Admiral. I was not aware you had a nephew, or that any gentleman bearing that, or any other relationship to you, had any sort of connection with these mysterious and most unaccountable circumstances. I tell you all I have gathered from common report about this vampire business. Further I know not, I assure you. Well, a man can't tell what he don't know. It puzzles me to think who could possibly have written me this letter. That I am completely at a loss to imagine, said Crinkles. I assure you, my gallant sir, that I am much hurt at the circumstances of any one using my name in such a way. But, nevertheless, as you are here, permit me to say that it will be my pride, my pleasure, and the boast of the remainder of my existence so gallant a defender of my country, and one whose name, along with the memory of his deeds, is engraved upon the heart of every Briton. Quite equal to a book, he talks said Jack. I never could read one myself, on account of not knowing how, but I've heard him read, and that's just the sort of incomprehensible gammon. We don't want any of your ignorant remarks, said the Admiral, so you be quiet. Aye, aye, sir. Now, Mr. Lawyer, you are an honest fellow, and an honest fellow is generally a sensible fellow. Sir, I thank you. If so be as what this letter says is true, my nephew Charles has got a liking for this girl who has had her neck bitten by a vampire, you see? I perceive, sir. Now, what would you do? One of the most difficult, 
as well, perhaps, as one of the most ungracious of tasks, attorney, is to interfere with family affairs. The cold and steady eye of reason generally sees things in such very different lights to what they appear to those whose feelings and whose affections are much compromised in their results. Very true. Go on. Taking, my dear sir, what in my humble judgment appears a reasonable view on this subject, I should say it would be a dreadful thing for your nephew to marry into a family any member of which was liable to the visitations of a vampire. It wouldn't be pleasant. The young lady might have children. Oh, lots, cried Jack. Hold your noise, Jack. Aye, aye, sir. And she might herself actually, when after death she became a vampire, come and feed on her own children. Become a vampire? What, is she going to be a vampire too? My dear sir, don't you know that it's a remarkable fact, as regards the physiology of vampires, that whoever is bitten by one of those dreadful beings becomes a vampire? The devil! It is a fact, sir. Phew! whistled Jack. She might bite us all, and we should be a whole ship's crew of vampires. There would be a confounded go. It's not pleasant, said the Admiral, as he rose from his chair and paced to and fro in the room. It's not pleasant. Hang me up at my own yard-arm if it is. Who said it was? cried Jack. Who asked you, you brute? Well, sir, added Mr. Crinkles, I have given you all the information I can, and I can only repeat what I before had the honor of saying more at large, namely, that I am your humble servant to command, and that I shall be happy to attend upon you at any time. Thank ye, thank ye, Mr. Uh, uh, Crinkles. Ah, Crinkles. I'm down here. I will see to the very bottom of this affair, were it deeper than fathom ever sounded. Charles Holland was my poor sister's son. He's the only relative I have in the wide world, and his happiness is dearer to my heart than my own. And, by the twinkle of his eyes, one might premise that the honest little lawyer was much affected. "'God bless you, sir,' he said. "'Farewell.' "'Good day to you.' cried Jack. Mind how you go. Damn me if you don't seem a decent sort of fellow, and, after all, you may give the devil a clear berth, and get into heaven's straits with a flowing sheet, provided you don't, towards the end of the voyage, make any loverly blunders. Threw himself into a chair with a deep sigh. Jack, said he, Eh, sir, what's to be done now? Jack opened the window to discharge the superfluous moisture from an enormous quid he had indulged himself with while the lawyer was telling about the vampire, and then again turning his face towards his master, he said, "'Do? What shall we do? Why, go at once and find out Charles, our nevy, and ask him all about it, and see the young lady, too, and lay hold of the vampire, if we can, as well.' and go at the whole affair broadside to broadside, 
till we make a prize of all the particulars, arter which we can turn it over in our minds again, and see what's to be done. Jack, you are right. Come along. I knows I am. Do you know now which way to steer? Of course not. I never was in this latitude before, and the channel looks intricate. We will hail a pilot, Jack, and then we shall be all right, and if we strike it will be his fault. Which is a mighty great consolation, said Jack. Come along. End of chapter 15 Recording by Lisa Tobias Fort Worth, Texas Hypersensitive.podbean.com Recorded in November 2007